morning. Morning, Rash. Feeling jubilant? Jubilant. I don't even know if that's a word. I feel like it's a bit religious, that word. And we're on like, what's that religion radio station? Joy FM. (laughs) We are definitely not Joy FM, especially me today. I am on my second coffee. And And I'm on my third. I just, um, jubilance, not in the vocab. Who are we talking to today? We are talking to Megan Harvey, who kindly came on. She started and founded Help at Hand Education, and that's a first aid class and website. And I'm going to be pretty honest here. I, when I think first aid, I do think mind-numbing and I think boring. I know, and that's exactly why... Um, Megan went into it because she felt exactly the same way. Yeah, she was and, saying and it's, it isn't. She was saying she felt like a lot of what was available out there wasn't enticing new parents or parents or families to engage in learning this information. But I think she's done it in a way, um, and also she talks to us in a way that it's actually quite fascinating. And you realise there's definitely a level of responsibility that we as individuals and as families should have on ourselves to learn and retain this information because given also the healthcare systems after COVID, the pressure on um, nurses and hospitals, um, we talked to her about coming into winter like the cold and flu season. Oh yeah, like we need to be armed with that knowledge coming into winter. Yeah, so we're not making panicked, you know, stressed, overtired decisions when we're sick But then also, you know, like the times where it is important to make that call and present at hospital or go to the GP. Yeah, you're armed with the resources to do it. Yeah. She does. I know what you mean. It's a a funny one because it's so pragmatic and we've had a few episodes where it's been like emotional or fun or saucy. But this this isn't saucy, this one. (laughs) No, this, this one is the... Common sense prevails. Learn, um, learn, and inform yourself with stuff that's going to help your kids and your family, um, especially going into the winter season. Yep, can't wait to welcome Megan. Welcome, Megan. Welcome to Not Super Woman. And on this week's episode, we're doing Don't Dr. Google. And Don't um, Dr. Google. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, have the amazing Megan Harvey from Help at Hand Education. She is someone we've known for a long time and someone that we were so keen to talk to because. You have gone out on your own after being in hospitals and working as a nurse and started your own first aid education company. Um, And I think it's so impressive and something that now in hindsight with older children, we realised that it is so integral to have that knowledge base and prepare yourself with a bit more education. Learning how to deal with different scenarios and emergencies And so we are so thrilled that you're here with us today and willing to talk to us. You've gone on a bit of a career journey to get to this point, which we're fascinated to get to know. And then you're going to be kind enough to give us some sort of top tips advice on how we can manage different scenarios from infancy to children. Um, So thank you so much, Megan. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was really nice. Um, so you started working out in emergency in hospitals? I, well, so I started nursing about 14 years ago, so I didn't go straight from school. 
um, it wasn't actually something that was really offered at school to do nursing. Um, and so I went into the Alfred Hospital, did my grad year when I finally finished, and I did um, cardiac actually. So I did cardiothoracics and cardiology. So I was in the heart ward. And I was there for about 18 months and then I just wasn't loving it. So I went to emergency and I haven't looked back. Emergency has been really good. And so down there I did my critical care nursing, which is where you do your postgraduate studies, you can work in your emergent, um, the trauma section and things like that. And then I was approached to go down the education route. Um, so I then did went down that route and started being the nurse educator with the emergency department, so across Alfred Health. So I worked at... So to interrupt, sorry, does that mean you're training, Yeah. Um, I guess, the emergency department nurses? Yes, so you work... Um, so it's really all range of nurses. So you could be the new nurses starting, you could be teaching them, to orientating them to the environment. You could be working with nurses that have been working for a while and teaching them more education, but also... Um, you could also be assessing their basic life support, advanced life support, which is all our training to keep people alive, essentially. That's massive. Or then we can work with, like, um, more senior staff in a major trauma and things like that. So it was across Alfred Health, which means it was Sandringham Hospital as well as Alfred Emergency. So you have a mix of paediatric and adults. Wow. I've got to say, like, there is a certain type of person that is cut out for this. Because safe to say, put me in that environment... Not only would You'd the be patient on the be stopped, <laughs> I would be crying. They'd on the be floor. dead. <laughs> but you've got to have a certain level of, I guess it's that fine line of adrenaline, um, de- being capable enough to, cognitive enough to process what's happening, and then also empathy so that you can nurture the patient as well. And then, so you ended up, so you're working in hospitals and. What were the next steps when you were in emergency? That would have been very confronting. Um, Yeah, it was. I think in emergency too, you're dealing with people that are at their worst day. So even if it's something that I don't think is that serious, in their head, this is um, the worst thing that's ever happened to them. You're also dealing with patients, um, families, and you're dealing with like end of life, stuff like that. So it is different every day and it can be extremely traumatic and it can actually be really nice. But it's really nice to be there for someone at their worst and to help them understand what's going on. And the team within the emergency department is awesome. Like you work really well with the doctors, Allied Health, all of that. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. And education's really nice. Like it's really nice to be able to work with people and help them understand something and also to find the aspect of their career that they enjoy. Like, So like, did you think you'd ever end up? In that role? No way. I said <laughs> I was the person that distract others at school. To think that I'm now teaching people, there is no way. No, <laughs> you weren't distracting. You were, you know, spreading oh. love, <laughs> raising, raising morale. Yeah. <laughs> so if you went back to my teachers and said now I was doing some sort of form of teaching, they'd be like, what? <laughs> but um, it's, yeah, it's really enjoying. Like, it's, it, I love it. It's, it's nice to... Um, to work with people and to see them get something out of it. So you're not also like helping patients, which is why most people get into nursing, but you're now helping just people in general. So it's actually quite fun. And it challenges me. It makes me realise what I know well and what I don't know so well and need to work on. Well, I'm sure the challenges also vary. Like, I mean, I can imagine any given day would be so different. Yeah. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it. So on the cardiac ward, you could have a difficult patient for a week, whereas in emergency generally within like worst case scenario eight to 12 hours they're gone so you come back the next day you've got a different patient if you had a bad day you start fresh the next day yeah how do you take that home and compartmentalize that yeah I think it's um I probably still to be honest still learning to do that I think some things affect you more than others 
it in the end it is a job and you do um, put up a wall. It's when you meet the family and that side of it that makes it a lot more real. Um, but yeah, some things will you'll take home more so than others. But generally, you just sort of I think with age, maturity, education, you sort of like you get better at it. Yeah. I think first aid really um, hit home, especially in the last, over the last couple of years with COVID and lockdowns, we saw the enormity of pressure on healthcare systems and on, um, and nurses and doctors. Um, And it did make me realise prior to COVID, I would be the panicked person, whether it be my own emergency or my children's, I'd be like, I'm going to hospital. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm going to hospital. Now, after COVID, I would hesitate um, because of not only being aware of what's going on in the hospital systems and adding pressure to it, but then also making sure that I, as a parent or as a woman, am more um, considered in my decision-making in those circumstances. Where were you over those years in COVID with your – were you doing help at hand education or were you in the hospital? No, so um, help at hand only started in the last 12 months. So I was in the hospital. So I had um, – Nina was six months when COVID hit. So I was on maternity leave for the start, um, which I was kind of lucky because the hospital system at the start of COVID was really quiet and it was more the waiting, anticipating – and post-COVID, the hardest thing is is the backlog of things. So we've got sh- nursing shortage, shortages from burnout, but also there's like a backup of stuff. So it definitely has changed, and which is one of the reasons I did want to um, move away. But like you said about being stressed like and not going to hospital, I also think like we want people to know when to go to hospital. Like mm-hmm. I think you don't want people to stay away because of the system isn't what it was. But at the same time, people still need help. So, like, if you still have an emergency thing, you should you still need to go. Mm. So it's sort of like um, when I so when I had Jack, my f- oldest, he's six now. I did a baby first aid course. Um, I went with friends and family, and I thought, I wonder what this is all about. And I remember leaving, and my um, friend was really anxious. So the girl that taught it was really nice, but she was quite junior, and she didn't understand the topic well enough that I think with further questions my friend was walked out really anxious and I was like this is you if anything you want to walk away from these things feeling happy confident and know what you're doing not walk away even more scared um because parenting's hard enough things are going to pop up and you're going to be nervous like I people said you'll watch your baby breathe and I was like I'm not going to I'm nervous <laughs> you watch you do you look yeah, at it you do like some you, odd things. so I think knowing I just thought people need to be confident in this so um then I had Nina was um sorry then Jack started daycare and he when he was 13 months old he was getting sick every other week it's so horrific it's awful and like, oh, oh, it's you literally pit. think like I was thinking about this the other day when when we were talking about it and I was like okay so you put your child down for Childcare. Yeah. We had twins. Literally, I feel like I never went back to work that entire year. Yeah, you're now taking sick leave from them. Oh, and, that was it. And then you'll get sick. That's it. Everyone and was sick. One of the doctors from work lived in my street, and she said to me, "Oh, he's going to be sick now for the next six months." And my husband was like, oh, like what? Oh. "That's half his life." Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, people are so like, oh, "What am I doing wrong?" And you're doing absolutely nothing wrong. It's completely normal. Like kids get sick. So it's just that viral load. It just never ends. Yeah, they're just building their immune the system, so they germs. don't have immune um, the immune system like we do to fight infection so they're gonna um get sick a lot more often than we do so yeah so then jack that sort of started the juggle of trying to work and daycare and things like that and then when i had nina um she was six months when um covid hit so i was on maternity leave which was great and then i taught a bit of first aid actually um just casually um and i really enjoyed it 
So then I went back to work and she started daycare. So the root, the juggle happened, sickness, work, all of that. And that I also found at the end of COVID that everyone actually was so much more fearful and we were all getting sick more because we hadn't been together. Yeah. So there was more sickness, more stress, more anxiety. And that's when I thought this is the time to do it and try and help people because I purely just want people to know when to worry, um, what to worry about and then where to get help. So do they need a GP, do they need triple zero or emergency? So that was the whole or reason nurse on started. Like nurse on call, is it? Yeah, nurse on call. So, yeah, okay. that's a service they can use um, over the phone. Often it's challenging because they can't see you, so yes. they will probably tell you to present to a um, I did experience that. I mean, I, 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 you know, again, I think I've referred to in a few episodes, but I definitely didn't cope very well with Bertie when he was born and get, going all through that, um, navigating all of that. And so I would panic and I'd call mm. nurse on call. And as you said, I, it is a wonderful service. I think the difficulty is because they can't see you, um, they ref, do refer you to a GP or a, a doctor essentially by the end of what you've updated them yeah. and it's also very hard to not um be dramatic in those that, those phone calls because you are calling because you are stressed yeah so i think um where you like coming into it i feel like in all hindsight i mean this whole entire podcast series is about i'm like oh i wish, wish i'd done I that i never that do I that I know, but had I had – I did go to the baby course at um, Cabrini to – Did that change your life? No, I, and not to be against what they tried to provide. I just don't think I understood what I was getting myself into. You're you're heavily pregnant. You, you know, worrying maybe about, you know, what's to come in the labour and you're not really thinking about – Past and, life. And I say this quite a bit. So many people um, will go and do birth courses, which are amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, it's great to know I never all that did stuff. It. You can see but how that turned <laughs> it out. It probably isn't too bad. But, like, it's, it's great support and good things to know. But often you're giving birth in a hospital with professionals around you. So you've got all the support you need. You then go home with this baby and now or your baby gets sick once they're 12 months old and you're like, oh, crap, now what do I do? Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do now? Um, so, yeah, so I just wanted to help alleviate the stress and I had so many friends texting me with like photos of cuts and bumps and um the breathing and I even had a friend yesterday reach out about um they're having this many dirty nappies a day I was like it's gastro you'll be fine it's gastro (laughs) um so and just like yeah just knowing where people can find the information because there's great information out there but no one really so that's where help at hand education sort of came you you decided I'm going to Post-COVID, this is the opportunity yeah. to release it. Yeah. And so how did you manage to do that even from a mum of two kids? Like that yeah. seems like an enormous project in itself. Yeah. So I just – because I'd taught first aid before, so I knew the principles of accredited training, so what the registered training organisations were teaching – and so I looked at other baby first aid out there and what they were teaching. So I've based it off baby first aid out there, other ones, what they're doing. But um, it essentially means that they're non-accredited because there's no um, nationally recognised accredited training for infant and child first aid like there is in workplace. So that means if I wanted to do it for work, yep. I would need a separate... You'd have to go to a registered training organisations. Yep. Um, organization whereas the um, baby first aid courses all out there they're made for parents so that you don't have to do a assessment at the end yes, of it yeah but all the information's based off the Australian recess um, guidelines and it's I'm an accredited trainer to teach it um, so it's just it's all the information you just means you you get a certificate of completion at the end of it yeah it's 
proactive um, opportunity to educate yourself yes. and make sure that in like you in those scenarios where you need to make decisions, you have you're armed with the information that you provide them. So you don't and get on Google like I do, and then everything's like meningitis, like <laughs> alarm bells, alarm bells. And I wanted to also add in the health, so recognizing illness in children because. Like we said, when they start daycare, they get sick. Um, so the Royal Children's Hospital say that the kids can get up to 12 respiratory illnesses um, a year. So that's like one Whoa. a month. That doesn't include hand, foot and mouth, gastro, all the other fun stuff. So it's a lot of illness. Um, and so I wanted to recognise the red flags because often illness as an injury is separated. But I think it should be together because it's great to know how to do CPR, but chances are you're never going to do CPR on your child. And I can never remember it. And 100% your kid's going to get sick. So you need to know what to do and when to worry and things like that. So, um, yeah, so I just put them together and, yeah, it's been great. It's going really well. I did um, find it amazing how little we all know about our bodies and health. And and I think with COVID, the, the good thing was that people all of a sudden showed an interest and they wanted to know. So I also think the anxiety doesn't help, but I just hope that people know that if you have the right information, you can actually not worry about that. Like there's so much to worry about. And my mother-in-law keeps saying little kids, little problems. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they feel pretty big at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> if it's yeah, going to yeah. get harder. We exactly. want to remove this, that we, the things you can control, we can control. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, Zoe and I were talking about this prior to this interview and how many times we just Googled at midnight and at nighttime, the nights just feel so long. Totally. You feel like, it's never going to end and you're like everyone's asleep where do I turn and most of the answers like for example with sickness is like if you've got a temperature above 38 you know you should go to the GP go to the hospital what have you so in those circumstances say you do would you mind running us through say fevers and yeah yeah so fevers is something um I feel like it's really topical at the moment too everyone freaks out about a fever a fever essentially means that your child's sick or you're sick. So it's the first step of the immune system to kick in and to start fighting the infection. So It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. So if you're sick, you're going to get a fever. So yeah. not always, but generally kids get sick, they're going to have a fever. So if your child has a fever, so a temperature greater than 38 degrees, um, it just means they're sick. If they're happy, you can... Go on with it. Um, so send them to childcare. <laughs> well, no, we have to keep them home from childcare. That's the bugger. A lot of the time when you want to go to for the, a friend, <laughs> a lot of the time you want to go to the doctor is to get the certificate to say, "Can I go back?" Yeah, and my husband says, "Green snot, or is it clear?" <laughs> my um, husband says they got it from there. Send them back. I'm like, it's not as simple as that. But with a fever, so it just means they're sick, and so their immune system's kicking in. Um, the best way to check a temperature is a did for under six months is a digital thermometer. So the, the ones you get from the chemist, they pop under their arm um once they're six months and their ears are big enough they can use the tympanic which goes in their ear canals the thing about that is it can be tricky to put it in there if they won't sit still and it could um it's a bit more tricky to do but it's it is a bit more expensive but they are quick um infrared thermometers so the they ones on the, on the skin yep. they're not recommended so um right. the clinical practice guideline from the royal children's that the doctors use um, for a febrile trial was updated September last year and they suggested that infrared is inaccurate in all adults and kids. So, And that's all I use at home. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's just a good thing to know. The ones over the counter, Correct. they're easy. But in the end, do you need to check it? Well, the, you can often feel it and yes. you can see that they're clammy or they're... So, and if they're happy, if they're a bit un- unhappy, give them Panadol, make them feel a bit better. Like, yes. you know, when we're unwell, yeah. we're achy and uncomfortable. Yeah, you're achy. 
But when you need to worry is if your child's less than three months and has a fever, so greater than 38, you'd take them to the nearest GP or emergency department. The reason for that is is that when we're pregnant, the baby gets our immunity. Regardless of if you breastfeed or not, they should have some sort of immunity for the first 12 weeks and then it starts to decline. So if they get a fever, we want to know what's going on. Um, What you also want to look at is if they've had a fever for greater than 48 hours. And so the reason for that is when we get sick, generally it's either a bacterial infection or a viral infection. So a virus, we can't do a lot. Often it's rest, hydration, um, and just wait it out, keep them comfortable with Panadol. And generally after 48 hours, they'll start to improve or um, the fever will go away. So if they're not improving, getting worse, you want to see the GP to work out what's going on. Because if it's a bacterial infection, that's when they need anti- antibiotics. So that'd be like, I guess, tonsillitis, and strep throat you'd thing. Have to get, yeah, then you'd have yep. to get your um, antibiotics to start making it better. Yep. With recognising illness, we go into the red flags. So the red flags for illness, these things happen, but you want to know what um, when you would go to the hospital or GP or call triple zero. So um, alertness and irritability, so their conscious state. So if they're running around happy or they're a little bit more tired but they seem okay, they're okay. Um, we also want to look at obviously fever. Um, a rash, often when we have a viral illness, as they're getting better, they'll have a rash come out on their body. So it can generally will start on their tummy because it's the warmest part of their body. Um, but what we want to know is if it's dangerous or not so essentially is it a blanching rash or a non-blanching rash which you might have heard of before I think of vegetables so if you um touch the rash and you put pressure on it the rash should disappear and then when you take the pressure away it should come back if you push on it and it doesn't disappear and the rash doesn't go away um it means that that's in a medical emergency so it could be something like meningococcal, so that's when you would worry and um, you would take them to emergency department straight so away. So that would be the same in adults as well? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay. And, but the rash um, is a late sign, so um, it's you'll normally see it later. So that's when you'd be looking at their conscious state, fever, um, their breathing difficulties, are they irritable, what's going on with them, and then um, the rash would come out. So for okay. meningococcal, so they'd have a high fever, um, high-pitched cry, they'd be irritable, they would um, have a stiff neck, they'd have photophobia, so it's when they can't look at the light, um, and they, the rash is a late sign. So meningococcal um, has 13 strains. It's There's five of which we actually vaccinate against, and anyone can get it, but it's really difficult to get. But when you get, if you get it, you can be quite unwell. Yeah. So we um, vaccinate kids because kids put everything in their mouths, and they. I feel like we all had that at school. That yes. Vaccination. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. did. Yeah. So it's uh, um, it lives naturally in the back of some people's throats. So when they get unwell, they cough and splutter and whatever. And why are we worrying kids? Because obviously they don't know what hand hygiene is. They don't know how to cough. They don't know how to blow their nose. Um, so that's why we vaccinate against it. So you won't see it often, but if you were to see those signs, um, you want to go to hospital. So why we talk about that in recognising illness is it's never about diagnosing your child because that's the medic, that's the doctor's job. Yeah. So so many people are like, oh, my child has croup or my child has. It doesn't actually matter. If, you just need to know that when they're unwell and what you look for because because the rash is a um, late sign hopefully you would have picked up on oh my child's really irritable they're non-stop crying they're not feeding yeah they're not they're dehydrated yeah so we're also going to look at breathing difficulties and um, hydration status so um yeah it's all about um, equipping parents with the tools of what to worry about and where they need to go and when to get help so with that so many things just came to mind, but I'll start with hand hygiene we're talking about. I've got a theory that year after year after year, every Christmas holidays, we've ended up with gastro. <laughs> right? 
I don't know if it's stress levels and low immunity, but also I have a theory about um, having toddlers and the hand hygiene thing. I think since my kids have learnt to wash their hands uh, and now are self-sufficient in that regard, it's the sickness is lowering. So, um, And when I did present to a GP with gastro, um, not, not realising we had gastro, um, he said to me, you can combat it if you are really strict with your hand hygiene and your hygiene at home. So I went home and pino cleaned till the nth degree and it did actually work. Only That's what I always do. Yeah, two two of five of us went down and mm. the others managed to escape. Yeah. escape. Do you have advice or guidance on, since, especially since COVID, like sanitizer and hand hygiene and what it what it combats and what it doesn't? Yeah, so um, if your hands are visibly soiled or you're doing anything with vomit, going to the toilet, it's soap and water. So hand sanitizer won't get rid of gastro, um, all those bugs. So actually soap and water gets rid of everything. So when in doubt, soap and water. So um, that'll get rid of everything. So And now I feel like since COVID, hand sanitizer is everywhere. You now go to a local cafe and it's on the table and – um, so, but soap right. and water is your best bet and just general cleaning. So, um, yeah. and toddlers, like anything, they don't, they can be sick wherever or they don't know how to wash their hands. Like yeah. you said, so it just actually, Mopping, it like on spreads. The floor. Yeah. Like you just mop everything. I'm just like, <laughs> this is probably inappropriate, but a couple, um, last year, our, my little boy got sick and vomited and our dog got it. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> and that was almost worse than the kids having I it. I was just like, animals yep, could get so the like, interchangeable. It yeah. So that was the worst. And wow. so, yeah, so it's, um, God, talk about keep you when you're down. Yeah. <laughs> so just keeping it clean I have two as much as possible. <laughs> oh, but like God. you said, as kids get older, they get better at it and their immune system also will um, develop. So they won't get it as much because their immune system is better. Right. So, so to, to clarify, so soap and water for essentially most of everything, hand sanitizer really only combats cold and flus. So it can help with like um, respiratory things, but if, your best bet is if you've just blown your nose, wash your hands with soap and water. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if you're visibly soiled yeah. in that regard, if you're coughing, soap and water is okay. the way to go. Okay. If you've been at it on an escalator, you could use your hand sanitizer. Um, so then moving forward to um, emergency action plans, if we change it up from sickness to to what to do mm-hmm. in those scenarios, you you sort of mentioned on your website and your, in your program to have like a plan. Yeah. I have no plan. Do you have a plan? No, I have no plan. So I'm asking because <laughs> you said that with like, yeah, I've got a plan. And I was like, who the hell has a plan? It sounds like a virus. Yeah, I was like, gosh. <laughs> I'm like, I need. Does your family have I it on the am, bridge? <laughs> no, I'm like, need to retain this information because I feel like it's bound to happen. Yeah. Especially having two or three very rambunctious children. Yeah. Now I th- and and I'm I can yeah I need a plan so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so your emergency action plan well if you come to the course you actually do get something to take home to your fridge yeah. okay no good good that's but your right. emergency action plan is um, doctors A B C D so you would have heard of this in the past if you've ever done a first aid course Hang on, is that stay in the lab you know when well, you're like that's, that's all I retain <laughs> from that class <laughs> that's that's for CPR but that's a thing isn't it it is a thing yeah yeah for the rate of CPR they say stay okay in the lab. great good so your doctors A B C D so what it is is they use it as a cognitive aid so um when you get stressed things go out of your head so when you what we want for if something's going to happen to your child you're going to be extremely stressed your adrenaline's going to take over and whatever you want to do is going to go out your head so what doctors abcd is as much as everyone says that this is boring information it's just a cognitive aid that when you're in an emergency situation you know what to do 
So where to start? So you've got dangers, um, response, send for help, airway, breathing, CPR and defibrillation. In the past, we didn't have the S, so it was Dr. ABCD, so I don't know when you last did first aid, but um, we'd get to CPR and be like, crap, no one's coming to help me, so that's why we put the send for help in early. So it's in order of severity, and it's literally just a tool that you know what to do um, if something was to happen, so how to assess it. Yeah, so that would be good on the fridge. Yeah, so you're just moving your way through it, and um, it's you're assessing the airway, you're going to breathing. If your child's unresponsive, not breathing, time to start CPR, and that's when we move through. So, But the ambulance should be on the way. So when I started doing all this, one of the things I looked into to help with my why was um, the ambulance waiting time. Yeah, they, this freaks me out. Yeah, so lots of people are really worried about it. Um, there was an article recently by The Age um, a couple of weeks ago, and the times were actually kind of similar from 2019 when I looked into it. But what it is is that code one, um, sorry, your emergency code, so the CPR, things like that, they will arrive to you in metro, like around Melbourne, within um, just under 10 minutes. I think it was 9 minutes 52 or something like that. So but I feel like that's long. That's what, And it made me realise that if you have no idea what you're doing, you've got under 10 minutes of on your own with this not breathing child. Like you would panic and not know what to do. So if we can give people skills and tips to sort of help step them through it and to help alleviate some of that um, stress and anxiety when they're, if they happen to ever be in it, um, that's what we try to do. So this would be then, the same stupid question here but same for adults. Like if you've got a parent yeah, or yeah, an yeah. elderly relative or anyone that's... Yeah, yeah. And we're at a unique position. We have little kids and ageing parents. That's it. So this information's great to know. And obviously we're focusing on children. But um, the only difference between children and adult... So we have infants, which is less than 12 months, and a child is technically one to eight, and then adults is after that. And the only real difference is um, the hand positions for CPR and how you give breaths. The rest of it really is um, the same principles. So, like, for instance, with CPR, we want to give 30 compressions to two breaths. We want to do a third of depth of the chest. We want to do a rate of 100 to 120 beats per minute. So that's where the staying alive comes Thank in. Thank you. I was like, where does that <laughs> yeah. come in? Um, and we want to do the same mid nipple line, lower sternum is how we do it. So that's all the same. The only difference is, is the hand position. So on a tri- um, infant, so less than 12 months, we do two fingers. On a child, so one to eight, we do one hand. And then just depending on the size of them, once they become adult, you do two hands to get that one. Physical th- and to get yeah. that one third of a chest. Um, depth, sorry, compression. Um, and so, yeah, so it's all very much similar information. Um, and it's, it can, it's never like you're better off to know it than not. Um, I've got so many people that like, I've got, I've got friend, a friend who's bought a defib, which is amazing. Yes, yes. But then I'm like, you don't know you how don't to do know how CPR. To so you're better off to know the basics and to call for help. The ambulance will be on the phone to you the whole time and they're going to help you through. But if you can um, kind of know what's coming and what's going on, it just makes it so much easier. Because I know that near us there's defibrillators in kind of areas. Yeah, you know, yeah, at our um, local CFA, um, you know, the local cafe and things. I would have no idea where they would be in the city. Yeah. Would the, they have that same? They're popping up everywhere. A lot more people are buying them, but they're in your major, like your MCG, things yes, like that, your yeah. big sporting venues. They'd be at the shopping centres yeah. and things like that. But again, um, like who? I, I wouldn't know how to use I it. I wouldn't know. No. To, to I would it's like just, to learn. And it's, um, so people don't realise that with CPR, for every minute we um, 
we actually hold off, it, you lose 10% chance of survival. So, wow. so 10 minutes, you're gone. Um, yeah, so that's why CPR will keep it going. But a defib, if it's there, it's helpful, but it's not for everyone. So you actually have to be in a shockable rhythm to be used, and that doesn't mean that anyone can use it. Is, so yeah. what that means is, if think of it like your mobile phone. Um, if your mobile phone freezes, we turn it off and turn it back on again. So our heart is a muscle that pumps, but it's also got an electrical activity. Um, and so with the defib, it'll stop the abnormal um, electrical activity and let the normal keep going. But if there's no heart rhythm or the wrong one, think of it like your phone's died. It's not going to... You can't, you can't turn it back on and back on, off and back on again. So the defib's not going to help. So it's not going to help everyone. If it's there, great, use it. But otherwise, you're better off to be to calling for help, calling yep. for help, knowing your CPR and, yeah, going from there. Yep. Safe to say, We've got as a lot soon of as you leave, so we will do. be enrolling in one of your classes. Because yeah, I like everyone, idea. whole family, all friends, everyone. This is just, it's just so weird to think, I think we all live in the land of a bit of naivety. La, la. Yeah, and go, oh, you know, as silly as it is to say, oh, that probably won't happen. And, yeah. then, you, and then the chance the chance that it might is enough to... Um, surely push ourselves to educate ourselves on this stuff because even having this conversation and with you're you also is caring, making, yeah, for other people, other people's children. Mm. So, sort of like with all accident and emergencies, even illness, think in your head: Do I need help now? Do I need the ambulance to come straight away? Can I wait um, and drive twenty minutes to the emergency department, or can I go see the GP tomorrow or the next day? Mm-hmm. So, sort of in your head, you'll know. Like, trust Which your category, gut, you fall and you into. know these these children better than anyone if you're worried get them checked like if, yeah, if the doctor says they're fine case, no, you could take them to emergency and they i mean you don't want to have to clog up the system but they're just going to turn you around and say go home yeah totally and they'll if they if you don't need to be there they'll say it's you can go to the gp yes, yeah um and often too with emergency even if you do need to be seen often people will say oh I, it's so annoying i had to wait two hours but just think you'd hate to be that family that got rushed through because they need it's an emergency now, so it's frustrating waiting, but just be happy that your child doesn't need to be seen now. Yes, yes as so urgently yes. as that. And um, two, with calling an ambulance, if you call them and you don't need it, they'll say you can drive to the emergency department. Like they're not just going to dispatch it. Just because you've called, they're not going to send an ambulance. I feel like yeah. I've always needed an ambulance when I've had a bottle of wine. I'm not saying I'm negligent, <laughs> but I can never drive. Like something happens and I'm like, um, I can't actually pick up the keys. Like, well, because generally what I think you're referring to. No, I'm not to saying like I'm negligent. <laughs> not on a nightly basis. You're talking about an, an event. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It yes. always happens yep. when I've been at like a lunch or I've been yeah. at like a dinner or, you know, I'm entertaining. Yeah. I feel like they're just painting me in a bad light. And even when kids get sick, I feel like as soon as you've got something on, they'll be always, sick. always, yeah. always. Yeah, it is definitely always the case. It seems. So, outside of doing your course, do you think it's um, good practice? Thinking about it now, again in hindsight, um, to have uh, like a whereabouts of knowing where to go to and who yeah, who definitely. to call in those like well, sitting on your um, fridge. Yeah, so in our um, on our website, which I actually can give you guys a copy, you can put there's helpful numbers we have that you can put on your fridge, and it's a mixture you. between mental health, physical health, health, what to do, and numbers to call. But it's also good to know what's your local hospital because, um, especially your public hospitals, because where to go. So the Alfred Hospital doesn't see kids under sixteen, but Sandringham do. Um, Royal Children's and Monash they also see kids. Um, so around this area, and there's but, no fee. 
is there no, when so you public go. hospitals, there's no fee. Yeah. If you go to a um, private hospital, you have to pay, you have to pay yeah. like $400 out of pocket. Yeah. Um, so it's also – public hospitals are great. They're teaching hospitals. They've oh, always fantastic. got um, doctors, nurses, everyone on site. Don't get me wrong, private hospitals are great too. But if you know where your local one is and making sure that they have paediatric um, – facilities if you took your child to a one that didn't and they were really unwell they're not going to send you away but they but direct you to good the, to yeah. know yeah so then just if that extends into other states or do you, is there a government website that would like list out what you said for example which hospital does what um don't go there is um the health .gov.au and I'm sure they would have on there all the different they've got all the different phone numbers for like your after hours GP and things like that mm-hmm. um, so you'd be able to find there and even your respiratory clinics which have been great since COVID that you can go and get things yeah, done they're so good mm-hmm. um, so yeah so there's lots of different um, I just like you things. are a wealth of knowledge I just don't even know how you retain all this information I don't I, know how my children are alive <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, know how your children are alive oh my <laughs> god I just feel thing, so though, but, unequipped for life but children Children are born to thrive. That's the thing. I think we get so wrapped up and stressed about it, and but they're born to thrive. Like that, you can't. Yeah. This is what they're born to do. So you, they're actually. Thanks, man. They're going to be okay. Thank and look you. at our parents. They were all okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And somewhat. my grandma used to just chain smoke the whole time. We're like, mum's fine, dad's fine. Oh, look, we won't be promoting that. <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> um, but again, I guess going. Um, we always ask our guests this at the end of the episode. Um, uh, a hindsight question. Uh, I find it so helpful in, and with you particularly, I'd love to understand it from two different angles. Um, a hindsight question of what would you have told yourself um, in your sort of, I guess, scariest or most um, stressed moment with a, a sick child, um, uh, if, even from an emotional perspective? And then I guess as a woman um, juggling many hats, I mean, you're a mum, you, you are a partner, a, a worker, how do you um, factor in and how have you been able to output help at hand education um, wearing so many different hats at the same time? So let's start with um, what would you say as to yourself, younger self, when you first had your first child? I think just trust your gut. Um, Just, you know, this child better than anyone. Ask for help, get support, because I think often we try and do everything ourselves. I'm still learning to do that. Um, But yeah, just ask for help around you, trust your gut, and ask, like, I'm a big fan of Mother's Group, too. I would say go to Mother's Group. I know lots of people don't like it, but I've made three great mates out of it, and it was so nice to have kids all the same within three days apart doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think just ask for help, get support and know that it gets, everything gets easier. Just Mm -hmm. as you know, master one thing, something else will come out. It's a bit like a foreign language at the start and it all feels overwhelming, but it definitely gets easier. Mm. Um, and then as a now new, like a business owner and starting out your own venture, adjusting and adapting to your family dynamic, I mean, how, what sort of do you tell yourself to step out the front door and do that every day? I think it's just a juggle. I'm still working it out again. Um, but going into your own business, you don't. You obviously, I'm working more hours than I ever have. But you do it for the flexibility. So I'm doing this. So hopefully, and then I can. I went on an excursion with Jack earlier this week, and that was great. But um, I think just find something you love and like trust your gut and just keep going, one foot in front of the other, because it starts to pay off and. 
when I teach, I see people get relaxed and they then tell their friends that they loved it. So I'm like, I'm doing something right. Just keep going. The juggle is real. And I feel like people that say there's like work-life balance, I think it's a crock. <laughs> I just, I don't know that it exists, but you just make it work. You've got to work it all out. Um, but I, I read it actually a while ago, a quote that in the end, you're the only one that can give your children a happy mum who loves life. And I kind of thought like, I've got to do something that I actually really enjoy and want to do that pays off for me. Cause I like working. I like using my brain and seeing adults, but I want to be around for the kids. So just making it all work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and some Agreed. days, some days are shocking, and some days are amazing. So just yeah. keep going. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're. I think we're all on the same page with that. I it's think- a crock. <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I was going to say. I was going to say. Thank you so much. You honestly have just been, it's been so enjoyable. So I've learned so much and I'm, and I've actually feel like I want, I want to go and do my first aid. Well, well, uh, help at hand. Help at hand. Help at hand. Um, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's so important to um, take some accountability in being responsible for some education, taking care of yourself and your children. And I think what you've done is really nailed a market that maybe needed a bit more of a progressive movement forward um, to engage parents, especially after COVID. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Um, And if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. 